Wow. Steve Manchester. Great dude. Just a really, really, really captivating guy. It was great to have him come in and to find out more about him, hear about his creative process. There's a couple of times where, I mean, he kept, he kept apologizing like during breaks or whatever, or when we were just talking and he'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry that I'm giving like long winded answers or whatever. And it's just like, no dude, like this is what people want to hear. Like, this is what I wanted to hear. I was enthralled with what he was saying when he was talking about his time in Iraq. Yeah. Like he could have gone on for fucking two hours. I would have kept listening. Exactly. Like, you know, if I didn't know him and I, and he was like, if I heard him at a bar talking to somebody, I would be like, oh, this dude is definitely an author. Yeah. Because he's such a storyteller. Yeah. And it's it's so funny to think about him at a conference for, you know, accomplished writers and such. And he's talking about what kind of sandwich is they going to have here? Are they going to have the pickle on the side? You know, like, yeah. I, it's how down to earth he is. Yeah. He is you know? super it's, humble. Yeah. It's this is uh, what what insight into uh you know we we talked very briefly before we even started rolling about what success was yes but here's a guy who you know he has success in the you know the concrete terms of it as well but mm-hmm. you know he's so down to earth so real so cool what a what a great fucking conversation yeah it was a really great interview um it was just very insightful and thoughtful. If you are somebody that wants to get into writing, then this would be an episode for you to listen to. If you're someone that just likes to hear somebody that tells some great stories, this is also an episode for you. Um, This was a lot, a lot of fun. And I think that a lot of the listeners will agree with that. I think so. And if you don't like Joe... This is an episode for you because he's right. not here today. If you don't like Joe, then this is the episode to listen to because Joe, unfortunately, is under the weather and he was not here to be the third guy in. We missed him, though. We did miss him. And uh, I, I think we also appreciated that he wasn't here to get us sick. <laughs> Fair enough. So that was good. But uh, yeah, no. He's a thoughtful oh, guy. Yeah, very thoughtful. But yeah, Steve Manchester, author. Stand-up comedian, yeah, apparently? that caught me off guard. That totally caught me off guard. Theater aficionado, educator, um, just overall great person, great guy. Wonderful time having him come to the 117 Studios. Um, so, you have anything else you'd like to add, Jared? No, I'm just excited for you to jump in, people. Yeah. I'm so excited. Me too. So, uh, get a pickle. Have a sandwich, sit back, listen to the episode, let us know what you think.
Uh, I can safely say that Steve is my favorite guest, and we haven't even gotten into the bulk of this interview yet because he's already he, you brought presents. Thank you're, you. You're the first the first guest I know to bring us presents. And that's yeah. hey, you want to make me happy? Bring me presents. I know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, it, it, it's it's that simple. Nice. They are nice. They yeah. are nice. Yeah. They are nice. It's my um, first Christmas song. Yeah. Bring me presents. Those are <laughs> stolen items too, by the way. So just keep those in the house. Oh, okay. oh, okay. all right. Okay. All right. That's okay. good to know. <laughs> all right. Is there a tracker in this thing? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> no, you're good. A little mic. Right. Wait, is this right. like a Russian gift? Is there a little microphone in it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <You're gonna listen. laughs> oh man, I'm glad we can make this happen though. Me too. When we first came up with this idea, you were one of the people that I thought of yeah. for a guest because, you know, trying to get local people on. And then I have to say, a couple months went by before the idea started to take fruit, like come yeah. to like fruition again. Right. And I forgot about you. I'm yeah. sorry well, to that say. Happens. That's, that happens in the <laughs> but, I never forget about yeah. you. Thank no, you, but I'm so happy. What you saw, Steve, that's where at, like, at a uh, wedding. We went to a wedding was, together. That's what yeah. it was. We it was the cupcakes. wedding. Yeah, we did. We did. That's how most business deals are like <laughs> strawberry cupcakes. It's right. over cupcakes. Cupcake that's what I've heard. That's true. No, but I'm so happy. That strawberry cupcake was, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. We were unsure of the timing of this. Like, it was beautiful. Nobody had touched it. Jared and I went in. You know oh, I mean? yeah. Took courage. So you guys were the pioneers. We did. The we cupcake were. pioneers. And, and then was, all of a sudden you saw that Of course. It just, takes, yeah. it just takes one or two people and <laughs> then forget it. And there was no announcement either like, hey, cupcakes are available mm -hmm. in the southeast corner of the tent. Yeah. No, we just saw it and we thought, we thought to ourselves, we yeah. both connected. We yeah. knew what we were thinking. It's game on. And, and you we just like, went over. Yeah, yeah they That's can't stop fantastic. two of us. I knew I wasn't alone. Do you know what I mean? No, of course. Of course. My thought process was if they stopped him that I could get around or right. vice versa. So oh, one of us was going to at least get like it. A like, they can't stop, they can't stop both yeah. of us. Exactly. Wow, that yeah. is really good. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I'm very thankful that this cupcake story Yeah, I am as well. Because it yeah. led to this. We let you, you know, you coming back in here and everything. So, or coming in here just the first time. Uh, but anyway, as we, uh, Joe isn't here, so it's a little different feel. Yeah. Uh, um, you won't be harassed as much, which is great. That's yeah. Well, essentially, I, you know, that's, bring it. You know what I mean? Like no, yeah. You, you can guys can up it a little bit. All you right, can all definitely right. handle yourself. I'm too nice. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Um. So I was on your website. I was doing some research. Yeah. Because I needed to know. Like I know I've known you for a couple of years now yeah, because yeah. you're a theater supporter and you come to shows. Mm -hmm. And I knew you were an author. I saw three shoe boxes, right. which you a play that you wrote, and but there was. So four novellas currently, seven books and one play. Is that what I did? I do the numbers. No, correctly? actually, no, no, no. So I, I've been doing it for about thirty years. Yeah. So I've written seventeen books. Okay. I have seven national bestsellers. Okay, so that's what yeah, I you're right. Okay, you're that's right. what I yeah, read. Yeah. Okay. And we, in in the stage plays, I've done a lot of children's stuff. To your point, we did three shoe boxes, mm -hmm. and then uh, recently a movie script, which I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Well, that was going to be one thing that I. Was yeah. gonna ask about. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, but just to say real quick, Steve came. He brought us the Hollow Tween Tales. Yeah, misspelled, right? Hollow Tween. <laughs> little play on words. Uh, no, it's great though. It so this is what this is a collection of two stories. Right? Yeah, two two novellas. One's called Monster Bash. The other one's called which was put up 
by Little Folks Theater out of Dighton. It was put up in 2012. Uh-huh. So it was a collaboration with all these, uh, you know, little kids that dressed up as witches and warlocks. And yeah. It was awesome. Brent Swanson did the stage, you know, and uh, Chris McDonald ended up doing the stage, right? They dressed, I, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. And they were using styrofoam. They were carving styrofoam. Oh, yeah, they're crazy. They, the it was stuff awesome. They did. And then the following year, we did uh, uh, The Haunting on Oliver Street, mm-hmm. right? Paying homage to the Spindle City down yep. the south end. Yep. Um, almost a Scooby-Doo-ish type of story. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You know, kind of kicking it back to my childhood, but uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I don't write children's stories, yeah. but I, I did for my kids. So now that my kids are, you know, up in the wind, I figured it's time to start sharing with other people. So it was fun. It's a fun project. Now that your kids are older, will you write coming to age stories now is that the i did i've only one uh, i've only written one coming of age book called the changing season and the reason i did it is i, I was sitting at my uh every sunday you know breakfast at the house and mm-hmm. everybody's supposed to be there and um i'm sitting there i'm listening to my kids talk and i really i needed a translator like a un type ambassador right <laughs> what the hell are they talking about and then i realized if i don't capture this now i'm gonna lose it yeah you know what i mean because mm-hmm. you know you go back you know, I graduated in 1986. For me, that was three weeks ago, right? But that also makes me old. So when you, I listen to the way kids speak today, mm-hmm. now I realize why my father was scratching his head, right? Yep. So I ended up capturing that. I, I based it in Westport. One of the main characters in the book is a dog who has a lot of human type, you know what I mean? Because everybody loves a dog. And, um And I, I, you know, it's funny, right? I ended up having a, a meeting, a two-hour meeting with my publisher in New York about not killing the dog. Right, because that's a layup, right? You kill a dog, you're automatic tearjerker. Oh. I said, well, I've been at this long enough where I can make people cry without killing animals. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So Jimmy lives in the book. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Jimmy. Jimmy's a survivor. I, uh, honestly, I, you know, if you said you were going to kill the dog, I probably would have been a little upset. Yeah, it's over. Lie. I mean, the podcast is over. Yeah, yeah. of course. We'd, yeah. we'd like, yeah, out of the house. No. I would, I would do <laughs> I've met Otis and Zoe. I'm, I'm like killing it again. Oh, no, fucking hey, man. Yeah. That's, right. I, the, whenever they introduce a fucking dog on a TV show, the se- I, the, I'm, they're going to kill it. Yeah. They're going to fucking kill it. It's just built in now. It's cheating. It's like cheating on an eighth grade test, right? If, if, when you create, to me, if you create a, an original work, right, and you are... You're bringing a baby, you know, you're bringing puppies, right? It's it's all cutesy, right? You kill a dog. Mm-hmm. That means you weren't on your game, right? Because there's other ways to take take care of business, right? Yep. I'm known for writing tearjerkers. I actually write male perspective to a female audience. So 85% of my readers are women. Wow. And wow. But it's from, and I try to remain true to the male perspective. Like, this is the way that, I mean, I wrote a book called Dad that came out last year. And that book is about three generations of fathers and it's written for a female audience. It's like pulling a curtain back and saying, do you want to really understand what it's like to be a man and try to raise a man that I'm going to show you? From a real sensitive perspective, but, you know. Wow. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin, so I'm able to rock it a little bit, right? But with Jimmy, you know, all of these characters that I write, I try to keep it local, mm-hmm. you know, set it local because, yeah. you know, Stephen King puts everything in Maine, Nicholas Sparks is it. Well, yeah. I'm in the Spindle City, me and Lizzie Borden, right? So the... Um, not only do I keep it within forever, all of the characters are like basically I throw everything into a blender, right? And then you come out with all these attributes and traits. And But all the names are local, all the places, the food, you know, Almax Diner, like that stuff's in these books. Yeah. And people get a charge out of it. But my readers are all over the world. So if somebody's in Arizona reading my book, they don't, they've never been to Almax Diner, right? But I have. Yeah, but you have and you can paint right. that picture. Exactly. That's what they say. I mean, I forget who it was, but I was reading a book 
whoever the screenwriter was for Basic Instinct. I don't. Uh, I forget the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good script too. Yeah, and he's written some. I, ugh, yeah, can't. I don't know. We'll look it up or or whatever. We'll put it in at the end. But he said simply, you just, you just have to write what you know, and it's that. And yeah. I mean, it seems like it's such a simple piece of advice, but. You can bring like as somebody that doesn't know, like you're saying, yeah. someone that's sitting in Arizona, they don't know what what Almax Diner is, they don't right. know what Fall River is, but since you know it so well, yeah. you can make them be immersed in it Absolutely. when they're reading it, yeah, and yeah. it's so important. Yeah, you have to put somebody there, right? I'll, I'll tell you this: like for scene settings, you can go nuts, and mm-hmm. you can be super, super detailed. Nobody wants to, you know, look at a diner booth, right, and read about it for three pages, of right? Of course, John but I can Steinbeck put some detail, <laughs> right? Yeah, but a character. We call it the 80-20 rule, right? So I need to give you 80%. So if I was writing about Ryan, and mm-hmm. you and I grew up together, and I know everything about you, mm-hmm. so there'd be physical attributes. I may even put the way that you smell, like the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of put somebody near you, uh, right right to where you were at, right? But I would leave 20% out because if I'm on my job, if I write about a grandfather, right, and I give mm-hmm. you all of the detail, then it's never going to be your grandfather. So I give you 80% of it, and that other 20%, what endears the reader to the characters is, Holy shit, that's my grandfather. And then all of a sudden, it's their grandfather in the story that's carrying the story, right? Yeah. So you automatically have that emotional, it elicits an emotional response, right? So scene setting, you can go nuts. Yeah. Character development, you have to keep a little bit back. And there's that that raises edge to it. There is um, something, though, that we've talked about as uh, on, on the podcast before that, you bring, that you've alluded to here at this, is that the audience has a job to do as well. Yeah, they do. You they know? absolutely do. You have to imagine. Right. You have to. That that's just part of it. And I guess I never thought of it in the sense of um, in in writing books. You right. know, I know it for the stage because you're there. You have to yeah. imagine something. But I never thought of it. So to hear that you say this about character development within you know writing books and novels, it's like, holy crap! Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. The audience still has to do some work. The, the The author can't give you everything. No, absolutely not. And I'll tell you, if, you know, for your audience, I don't know if everybody has seen both you guys on stage. They, you, you truly are super talented. I mean that. And the reason I go to the shows is because you're a storyteller, and I'm a storyteller too, in a different format, different venue. But you get up on stage and there's no audience. That's half of it, right? The audience comes in, you get the energy, right? So when I write a book, it's one half of a conversation. The other half is whether or not we have a habit, the reader picks it up, they read it, and then they'll come back. And I don't care about praise, but I love feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Steve, you know, it kind of felt like you wrote my story, which makes it real, relatable, kind of, kind of did my job, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's, you need, you need that give and take. You absolutely do. And what I love too, is when I sit in the audience, when I write, I'm eight years old. Mm-hmm. My vocabulary is, it surpasses an eight year old and I have more experience, life experience, but I have to believe all of it that I'm doing. And when I see you guys on stage, I see the same thing. You're not, you know, Chad Robinson, you're playing the character that you're playing. Mm. And then I'm enthralled by that because I'm a story, like you're telling a story. Yeah. Right. And I think. At a very, very human level, that's what connects us. That's what keeps us going, right, for generations. I mean, you, you know, people pass down stories. Um, I love that more than anything. You come to my house on Christmas, you guys sit at my dining room table, you're going to get a pre- you know, you'll get a gift, you can unwrap it, good for you, right? But I'm going to tell a story, and then you're going to see the baton get passed. And it used to be my grandfather, who was an amazing storyteller. We mm-hmm. called him like an old swamp Yankee out of, out of Westport, right? <laughs> And then my father and, and his brothers told stories. Now I tell stories. So my kids hear all of this. 
And now they're expected to share a story. So if you're at my table, you're going to tell a story. Yeah. And you can make people cry. You can make people laugh, whatever. We're going to drink. We're going to have a good time, play some music, but we're going to tell stories. And when you leave there, you're never going to remember what the gift was, but you'll remember, you remember the, story the stories. Time. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Awesome. Do you think that that's an ability that you innately have, or is that something that you can be taught? No, I, th- I think it's probably an innate thing, right? Yeah. I think all of us have, have you know, stuff that we can pass along. Like for me, I knew the gifts that I needed to give my children. And I did a lot of research when I did the book, Dad. Um, from the time they were born, I, I, I needed to impart whatever wisdom had been passed down to me, mm-hmm. to my kids through generations. So they, they're never going to meet my grandfather who walked on water for me, but they're going to know my grandfather because yeah. I'm going to tell them the same Jeez. shit he told me. Yeah. And I don't know if it was fact or fiction. To be honest with you, I didn't care. All I knew was he was sharing this stuff with me, making making my life that much richer. So when they sit down, if you pointed the old man out in a lineup, they wouldn't be able to tell you who he is. But they know exactly who he is. They know the essence of him, and you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. and usually that that anecdotal stuff sticks with kids. I think more than anything else, right? Kids mm-hmm. really don't listen for the most part; they watch, yeah. right? But when you tell a story where they can envision it in their heads, they're watching. They're not listening. They're, they're actually picturing this, right? So that's the way that we, we kind of handle it. But I love that in the family, right? And I and what's funny is when I sit down at my own table, I'm, I don't even want to talk. I yeah. just want to listen. I want to, you know what I mean? I, like, I want to hear what's going on with Jerry, what's going on with Ryan. Like, I want to hear your stories, and it just makes my life that much. I already know what I know. Yeah. I well, want to learn more. Do you think also that's because that's, that's your job? That's yeah, what you do. You, yeah, like a, you are a storyteller. Right, I'm an so observer. Right. If you can then have be told a story, right? Oh, it's you're, amazing. You're going to welcome it. I'll tell you, brother, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I sat at a cookout about ten years ago, and I see a car pull up, and a kid, you know, a, a young man. I wouldn't say a kid. Yeah. A young man gets out of the the vehicle, hats cocked sideways. I'm like, wow, this dude's been drinking, right? He's been on it hard. Yeah, I can respect that. Then I realize he hasn't been drinking. Like this, you know, there's a cognizant issue here right he's disabled yeah cousin goes over hands him a tall boy cracks the beer hands it to him he, he puts it down gives him a second one so i start talking she's the hostess very really really good friend of mine. what are you doing so she said, what are you talking about so we start listen I, when i grew up i had a cousin you know what i mean and uh, who was mentally handicapped and she said no and she starts to tell me the story that listen when he was born he rejected his mother's milk they put him on a formula mm-hmm at the time, the formula company, which was out of California, they did a class action suit on this, took, removed the sodium, the salt, right, which is what is used to develop the front lobe of a baby's brain, and basically cooked this kid. So long story short, they bring him to the doctor. The doctors you know, kick him to Boston. Boston finally says he's never going to walk, never going to talk, never going to ride a bike. He will never swim. They screwed him. His grandmother, who's 4'11", steps up, mama. One of my favorite characters right, I've ever written. Mm-hmm. Mama steps up, says, you're full of shit. He's going to do all of it. And she dedicates the rest of her life to him. And I've always wanted to write a story about unconditional love. So between a grandmother and a grandson who's now handicapped, mm-hmm. she dedicates her life. And the way this story plays out, but I asked, I begged her. I said, please don't tell me anymore. I want to write the story. She said, well, you don't know the story. I know enough. Yeah. Wow. And my grandmother, <laughs> who was, you know, like a, an angel on earth, right? That became mama, right? And mixing a few other things, right? And and all of a sudden, I grew up with a cousin who was mentally handicapped, so you have some of that variation. So what happens is I spend so much time on character development 
that the characters are real for me, and this is a bit cliche, but the reason there are cliches is because they're true. If you spend enough time on character development and you believe something to be true, then I can tell it as if it's true. So when people ask, well, what kind of fiction do you write? I write reality-based fiction. So when you read one of my books, the question is, did this really happen? It did for me in my head because I'm eight years old. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But it really didn't happen. It's fiction. I made it up. But the characters are what's telling that story. Even if I, I mean, if I write pages and pages and pages of this character study and I only use a half a page of it, it's still in my head. So as I'm writing, at one point, Grandpa John doesn't have to raise his voice. He just has to lean in and raise an eyebrow. And everybody's like, oh, shit. Yeah. The old man's pissed. Yeah, you know what I mean? Know what it means. Because yeah. it's developed in my head. And so everything I convey is telling you exactly who he is, just the essence of it. Yeah. I mean, you guys know as actors, right? More times than not, it's what you're not saying. Yeah, that's so true. It, it, yeah. It's so true, just like how you stand, you know? Right. Like, what are you trying to. The nonverbal body language things yeah. are, are just as important when you're on stage as really delivering your lines. Right. Like, it, it's so true. You've brought up something so interesting to me that, you know, I've always. I haven't written a ton. I've written a lot of music, right. um, but as like a, a fully fledged, you know, show or book or whatever, I've never written anything like that. Um, and I've always thought, okay, well, this this thing pops into my head. I got to write it down. I got to write it down, and then I lose it. But yep. for me, it's like you've developed all of it in your head. Right. It's there. It's not going anywhere. Right. This is your grandfather that you knew. Right. This is the this is the stories you know. So it just answered a huge question for me. Like, how do you not lose it because it's there. It's it's not it's not right. fleeting. It's uh, now obviously maybe if you sat on it for you know twenty years or whatever maybe it wouldn't be so fresh or whatever. But like these are developed yeah. ideas. These are people you knew. These are these are. It's just it, it's it understand a huge the process question. too, right? Like somebody asked me recently, and you know we we get the movie coming out November first, so I've been doing quite a few uh, interviews. And somebody asked me, you know, first everybody asks, you know, how long does it take you to write a story? Well, I don't know. I might have started it when I was seven, seventeen. To your point, right? Mm -hmm. What I understand now completely, and it's more of an intrinsic type thing, where I understand the process. I understand that once a seed gets planted, which we'll call the plot, right? That book concept, that idea. If I fall in love with it and I become passionate about it, I now live in two different worlds. I'm obsessed with creating the story, and again, putting it up in my head. But I also need to, you know, bring the groceries in, cut the grass, make sure I'm, you know, a decent father and a husband, and that does come first. But on the other end, you know, thank God for the Kardashians. I don't watch a lot of TV, right? So I spend my time developing my stories like a kid. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Uh, and it's just awesome because to me it's real. And in the end, you know, I used to think writing was what I did. It's actually who I am. And I, I want to go back just real briefly, and I'll make this brief, but my grandfather, Swamp Yankee, storyteller, right? Yep. I, mean, I mean, just pick stereotypical New England guy, right, with the, the, the denim bib, you're at the foot of his rocking chair. He's making you laugh, cry. You have no idea if he's bullshitting you or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's awesome, right? Fast forward 20 years, 15, 20 years, I'm in the Gulf War. I was a squad leader in an MP unit. My code sign in the Gulf War was Swamp Yankee, right? I come through Iraq. My job was to uh, collect EPWs, enemy prisons of war, and I ran basically a squad and a half, so when we came through – there were two division of Republican Guard that were supposed to be waiting on us. Now, Saddam Hussein swore it would get, take the Americans six months to get to the breach. Now, picture 60 feet of sand off the desert floor, almost the entire line between Saudi Arabia and Iraq, right? That's the border. 
On the other side, roles of Constantino Waya, right? The Razor Waya. Yep. He had uh, anti-personnel mines. He had um, oil trenches that they were going to light, and then they were supposed to light us up. We had two division of Republican Guard who had combat experience, and we didn't. We were well-trained, well-equipped, didn't have combat experience. Six months to get through the breach. Do you guys want to guess how long it took us to get through? No idea. Like five days. 17 minutes. Oh, my Jesus <laughs> To get through the breach, right? And we get to the other side, and then I realize, holy shit, 41 days of uninterrupted bombing. So when we get to the other side, there was no Republican God. They were either high-tailing it back home, or they were cooked, right? And I won't get into the graphic detail, but yeah. I may be four months into my tour of duty, and I'm taking my platoon sergeant south. Mm-hmm. I had, And this would have been like a one-day-off thing, which was bullshit, but main supply blew. They cut the roads in the shape of a snake, so in case, you know, the Iraqis had, if they hit you in an ambush, right, they couldn't just, they call it plinking, where they yeah. take out a convoy. I get deep into southern Iraq. I got a whip antenna on a Prick 77 radio, right? Enough ammunition for two days. Me and the clown I'm bringing with me, who's, I love the man, right, but he's a Vietnam vet. He probably shouldn't have been in the Gulf War to begin with. And we were going to an evac hospital, which is basically an inflatable, like, real sanitary environment. He's going to get his shit checked out. They're either going to ship him to Germany or he comes back, you know, to the front line again with me. As I'm driving, I get the pedal to the floor. And if you look at the desert, it's there's actually a concave. It looks like there's a bow in the land. It's because peripherally you can't see. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's flatland, but it's so vast. There's yeah, it no, just goes on forever. Geez. So I'm on the hammer. Like yep. I'm driving, right? And all of a sudden we hit a dust storm, sandstorm, which is like taking a can of powdered, uh, like a, a, a can of powdered tang, right? Or, or like Kool-Aid, orange yep. Kool-Aid, and throwing it in your face. I mean, visibility is at zero. But if I get off the hammer, then, you know, this, once the sun comes, uh, goes down, they're out hunting too. Yeah. I got a 60-mile range on the radio. I have all the color signs and frequencies. My job was to patrol these main supply routes. So I'm And I'm real confident what I'm doing, right? I don't spook too easy. So... As I'm driving, we hit the dust storm. All of a sudden, I hear bang. I mean, the loudest bang you ever heard in your life. I look up, and I'm driving. Windshield spiders, and all of a sudden, the world starts to flip end over end. I hit a boulder with the right front tire and flipped the Humvee like a top. I got knocked out. I got thrown out. When I finally came to, it was the Humvee was on its roof, crushed. The driver's side was crushed. My platoon side was hanging upside down like a bat. Motor's still screaming before it seized up a couple minutes later. I cut him out. I pull him out, and then I start to panic. And I've never felt panic like this in my life because I had worked in a prison for 10 years. I'm, I'm real good with conflict and confrontation. Yeah. And I taught my children, do not panic. You need to think. Mm-hmm. You can always outthink. You know what I mean? Like, just think. But then I realized, shit, I don't have – I can't call Bucky 13, which was the flying medics. We call them flying angels, right, to come in and take care of business. He's messed up. He's in and out of consciousness. I treat him for shock. I pull him over to the side, and then I'm thinking, we're fucked. I mean, this is – done we're going to end up getting captured they're not treating the americans the way we were treating the iraqis right and i've always been a man of faith but when i say prayer i'm talking like a conversation with god right yeah and don't make the send here like i'm 23 years old you know what i mean like this is not where i want you know what i mean but at one point the lowest part of my life and i'll never forget this was a turning point and then i realized fucking life's too short right i'm gonna come home i'm gonna get back in the prison I'm going to bang heads for the next 30 years, get a decent retirement, get fat, die of a heart attack at 50, right? Or I'm going to reclaim my life. And my dream was to be a published author, to be a writer. Rejection rate's 95%. 
Would I rather succeed at something I hate or fail at something that I love? So I decide, not if, but when I get home, I'm going to become a writer. And that's exactly, they put me on a medevac, they flew us out, and I came home and I kind of limped back into the world, right, which was brutal. It took me about five years to really become back, you know what I mean, get back yeah. to who I am. And uh, I went to BCC, I went back to BCC, I started taking courses, I was busting one of the professor's balls, and uh, he basically co- calls me into his office and he's like, you know, if you're so smart, why don't you write it? That, well, that's what I read on, on your website. And that's how it began for me. And it was, honestly, Ryan, it wasn't like, should I write the book? The question was, what should the title be? Yeah. And I know this book's going to suck because I've never written a book, right? So, But you got to make your bones somewhere. Yeah. So I used a pen name. I was smart enough to use a pen yeah. name. I could bury the book now. Um, but it took me a long time. I mean, I've been writing for 30 years. And I can honestly tell you guys, the last three, four, five years, I feel like I've finally come into my own where I have my own unique voice. Plagiarism wouldn't even be an option because I, you know, if you read one of my books uh-huh. and then you read another one, even if it's totally different characters, a different plot, scene setting, you know, Steve wrote the book, right? Because yeah, it's, it's just tone. my voice. My yeah. Unique, yeah. But it takes years. So I try to tell kids that, like, it takes years and years. Like, somebody asked me, what's the greatest thing I ever gave my children? And I said, I, watched, they, I allowed them. I didn't allow them. I almost forced them to watch me fail for 20 years. So when I win the New York Book Festival and I bring the kids to the Algonquin Hotel and I get up at yeah. the podium and I speak, it's not about the trophy. It's about me teaching, right? So if you come to my house, you'll see oh, you know, all the shit that I've earned over the last 30 years. You know, good for me. Who cares? Yeah. What you don't see is all the work that I put in and how I developed. And then in the end, ended up creating a life that was worth living, right? And that's what I wanted to teach my kids. I don't care what you do. But you better love what you're doing, because as far as I know, we only get one shot at this. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's clip it. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the backstory. So without you know, we can talk about all the other stuff, which is fine. But it's really about the backstory. And what I try to tell people, if you re- when you read my books, even uh, most books take six to nine months for me to write. I wrote a book called The Menu, and that book took me ten years wow. because I wanted to teach my kids not to fear death. So mm-hmm. from a spiritual perspective the tagline on the front of the book is you are never alone not ever Uh and then i realize subconsciously that that's the tagline of every book that i've ever written because i spent three three hours in the desert like a kid who was lost in the mall looking for his parents and to me i've seen people get sick and die i've seen tragic things happen nothing worse than somebody feeling alone truly alone yeah because it's not true. It's bullshit. We're all in the same boat, right? Some of us are rowing harder than others, right? Mm-hmm. But we're all in the same boat. So for me, connecting with people with these stories, if I make something real relatable, if somebody cries and they say, holy shit, like, well, at least one person understands. And the reason they understand is because I'm in the boat with you. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's about connecting at a real, real basic level. Man, that was crazy. I was going to, like, I wanted to ask you about your time in the service and everything, and yeah. you just, like, you went into it, so yeah. I'll check that off the list. It's something I don't have to, you did my job for me. Dude, at fucking yeah. 23, I was, like, just packing lips and sitting in the basement, like, <laughs> fucking <laughs> playing video games. I don't even, Holy yeah, shit. I know, like, that's so crazy to me. It was a blessing, though. It was such a blessing for me, because, you know, you think, everything's a decision, everything, man. Like, you either choose to do something, or you choose to walk from it, you know? Um. And my biggest fear was I didn't want to be stuck in 1991, right? Yeah. Like I, I see yeah. veterans who, you know, Korean War vets, Vietnam vets, and it's still 1967. And that terrified me. Yeah. 
Like, please, God, let me, you know, reinvent myself and, and, and live the life that I want to live. You know what I mean? Um, and it was a bitch. It was hard to come out of that hole. But once I did, a lot of the other stuff that people worry about, I don't. I really don't. I've, it, it allowed me to free myself up to do shit. Whether you like it, love it, hate it, I couldn't care less. Yeah, th- I mean, I was, that's what I was going to ask you is how your writing and your storytelling really helped you you know, find yourself again. Yeah. Like it's just a form of therapy or maybe you didn't even, you couldn't do it at that time, but right. you not physically be writing, but formulating in your head. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm the, the book, one of the books I'm working on now, cause I was going to couple in the works. Right. But, uh, and I don't advise most writers to work on more than one project at one time. Cause you can be all over the place, yeah. but if you guys come to the house and we have a, you know, a couple beers with downstairs watching football and you're like, Hey, what are you working on now, Steve? And I'll show you binders, right? Yeah. One of the binders is called The Fort. Now, I worked at Southeastern Correctional Center in Bridgewater for 10 years. I was mm-hmm. an IPS officer in a perimeter security, which is basically a detective behind the wall. Uh-huh. Rapes, murders, just because they're behind the wall doesn't mean the crime spree stops, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for a young man, you talk about adrenaline. It was a phenomenal job, right? And then you get older and you, 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 know, you, head, you get your head knocked around a couple times a week, yep. and then it's like, all right, enough, you know? And the better I got at the job, the less I liked myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when I go to workshops and conferences, and, and this is kind of how my, my life's evolved or my writing career's evolved, people will ask me, you know, and, and there's a lot of pretentious writers, right? Yep. They're just, uh, I don't fit in, to be honest with you guys. I'm, you know, I, I pride myself in being, you know, coming from some deep blue collar, salt, salt of the earth type stuff. But I sat in the back of this conference. I was a keynote speaker, and I think everybody in the room paid like twenty five bucks. You get a sandwich. Hopefully, it comes with a pickle. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you get to hear me talk. And most people had never seen me. Like they've read my stuff, yep. but they don't see me. But I'm, you know, I'm six foot. I weigh two forty, right? Like I got a background in law enforcement, the military. I'm sitting in the back of the room. There's like two hundred and fifty people in the room. Three guys: me, the guy who's holding his wife's pocketbook, and another dude that looks lost, right? The rest are all women. Yep. So I turned to the woman to my right and I said, uh, have you ever heard this guy speak? And she said, no. Awful. She <laughs> said, what? Terrible. I've heard him. He's, I mean, this. I hope the sandwich is good. So she turns to her friend, Phyllis, my God, I knew we shouldn't have. So they get into the whole thing. All of a sudden, the person at the podium, the hostess, announces me, and I couldn't have paid right for a better. <laughs> it goes through my whole background. That's incredible. Yeah. I get up to the podium. I turn around. I start laughing. She starts laughing. And I'm like, isn't it funny how you look at somebody and you think you know who they are? And you don't realize the guy sitting next to you is the guy that's writing tearjerkers, right? Like, I'm the guy trying to make you cry. Yep. And connect us at such a human level, you yep. know what I mean? <laughs> and so people ask me all the time. These getting back to the writers, right? And and most of them, honestly, and and I've met some wonderful people, but a lot of them are super pretentious, right? Oh, yeah. I, I have my name on the cover of a book. Yeah. I'm really smart. Good for you. You're yeah. smart, right? Fuck off. <laughs> exactly. And they'll say to me, you know, where did you learn how to write? And I'll say Southeastern, and they're like, oh, oh that's a great school. Yeah, it's a medium security prison in Bridgewater. Where I spent ten years and I learned how to write. Yeah, in the prison. So if you want something, you can you can find a way right to make it happen. And you know what I mean. Yeah. So the trajectory for me was to your earlier point. I needed to heal. It was a cathartic type thing. Yeah. Once I learned how to heal, I wanted to master my craft, which mm-hmm. meant I had to become obsessive. Right. People talk about ten thousand hours. I'm not sure that's accurate. 
but you need to put in the seed time. You need to yep. devote yourself, right? Yep. And you got to fail too, right? You like do. You got to blow it a bunch over and times. over and over. You absolutely have to fail. It's it's absolutely true because to me, that's how you know failure is just another step toward you know success. It's just training, right? Yeah. And now for me, it's about teaching. It's about actually sharing because. This is, and I love this, right? I love to teach young kids, right? Because you walk on the road. And, and the kids, when I teach younger writers, it's more for me. When I teach older writers, it's more for them. Because when yeah. I teach younger writers, yeah. it reminds you of why you even started, right? Yeah. So I'll walk in a room and some little girl hands me, you know, I'm down the Cape, right? There's maybe 30 kids in the room and I'll do exercises. And the girl's got a poem. So, you know, Mr. Manchester, she hands me the paper and I'll read it and I'll look at her. And I said, oh, my God, someday you're going to be a Pulitzer Prize winning poet. And she says, I know. <laughs> well, if most adults thought that, right? Yeah. You know, there's something cool that you said. Like, I, I love that you've alluded to it a couple of times of that you, you're an eight-year-old mind when you're yes, writing. Um, and that, that's cool because they, they can tap into things that, like, you can ask them, you know, uh, there's an age-old study with psychology where you give a, an eight-year-old a, uh, a paperclip. And they can give you 500 different ways to use right. it because the paperclip can be seven feet long. It right, can be right. this. You know, and it, our minds, as we get older, sometimes we, we put ourselves into a box. Now, I do want to, because you, you do have some classes coming up soon, and I want to talk about that. But I do want to get into something that's even more important that you yep. alluded to just earlier. What is the perfect pickle? You said if the sandwich comes with a pickle, what's the perfect pickle? Is it a slice pickle? Is it... No, it'd be dull. Way? I mean, it's got to be untouched. You know what I mean? It has just to be pure yeah, pickle, just like that. Yeah, yeah. I can, you know what yeah. I mean? Pickles are controversial, man. They are, you know? and they're oh, frying yeah. them now. You know what I mean? They're frying them, they which are. is they are, which just helps for health reasons. Yeah, my brother used to <laughs> my brother used to take the juice and throw it at me. I hated yeah. it. Chase me around with it. I, yeah. I, you know, I don't like pickles all that much, but oh, you know, every gosh. now and then, well, if you get one on a burger and it's sliced and I don't notice it. I seem to like it, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm coming around. I'm coming I like around. it. Okay, I like it. That's going in a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I want a whole chapter <laughs> on the fucking perfect pickle. I don't like pickles, pickle. but you do like pickles. You've just eaten them and enjoyed them. Yeah, That's yeah. Hilarious. Hey, it's the same thing with mustard too. If I don't see it on a fucking hot dog, I'm yeah. still eating it. You know, you put yeah. it under the uh, the. Uh, the what is the sauce? The Coney Island sauce. Yeah, the you Coney put it under. I mean, that sauce. I gotta tell you, brother. I appreciate you bringing that up, right? Because it's it's hot. Like when I start talking about writing, I know I'm on the deep end of the pool. You know what I yeah. mean? But it's so important. And and you just gave me a gift right there because I enjoy it. I enjoy it the way a child enjoys whatever it is that they love, right? So mm -hmm. I enjoy writing the same way. The problem is when I try to convey that, it comes off as you know being really serious. Like this is a real serious. And it's not. Like, you really have to attack this as if, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. playing. I mean, I'm playing is what I'm doing. Of right? course. And there's, there's, you know, everybody talks about imposter syndrome, right? So I've mm -hmm. been, and I don't mean to bring up, you know, like, accolades and stuff, but I, I've won some amazing awards, and I've been very fortunate, right? And uh, I've worked really hard. You bring all you want. No, but, but for me, I mean, I've sat in, my wife and I went to Paris, right? Yep. I won the Paris Book Festival. We went to New York. I won, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles. We went coast to coast within two years. It was awesome. And I remember sitting in the audience before they called me up, and I'm thinking, damn, like I'm, I'm still an imposter. I'm yeah. still making shit up, and people have no idea. Like, so I've written 17 books. Everybody will ask, what's your favorite book? It's the one I'm working on now because I love Hell the yeah. process. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The, the other shit. I mean, I, if I came here and you guys wanted to talk about The Rock and Chair or 12 months, another one of my books, 
I would actually have to research for about a half hour to put myself back there. Yeah. Because I've, you know, it's you all about what done. I'm doing now. You yeah. Know what I mean, of course. But to tackle that like a child, to do that in like as if you're playing, that's the only way to tackle. You know, that's the only way to do it. Yeah, you know definitely. I mean? But you can't give a shit. Like you got to care without caring, right? Like you, you bring up the pick. Like to me, what I love is, and I can tell somebody who's a master at their game because they don't give a shit. Yeah. 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 And you got. I think. I think to a level, you need to. You have to be so self-aware in a, in, in a right. good way, in like not not the way that you're uncomfortable with yourself, but you like know yourself. Right. Like I I I anytime I I think I'm at an age where I've just started getting into. I think for the longest time I was trying to create something that would have been on Disney yeah. or would have had success, you know, that would have been on television, and then all of a sudden something happened. Was like. Oh no! I want to create things for me that right. I would enjoy. Yes. That that goes on in my mind, you know. And then the, I think that's where that happens. That's so I, important. It's a transition so that it's like this right. is fucking for me. And if people like it, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Because yeah. Disney already did his bullshit, right? Like he did. Hemingway wrote what Hemingway wrote. Yep. I love Hemingway's work, but if I try to replicate that, what the fuck? I mean, you know, I'm just wasting my career. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to mention I'm a fraud, right? So figure out what it is that you love. And, you know, with, with the writing, they'll always say, you know, write the book that you want to read. Again, cliche, but it's so true, man. Yeah, because it's true. What else are you going to write? Yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you've talked a little bit about a movie that you have coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this story. So, The Thursday Night Club. Okay. Now, this is an act of surrender, right? You guys are very creative people, which is why I love this podcast, right? This times I'll, I'll, I'll interview and people don't really understand the creative process. Mm-hmm. So you do. And I don't care if it's a script or I'm writing a novel or, or you're preparing for, you know, to get on stage and to do a show. The process is pretty much the same. Like I'm very good friends with Brian Fox, right? Who's, you know, this renowned artist. Amazing. I'll, I'll spend time in his studio and then I'm like, well, how do you, I don't, like the end result, obviously I'm blown away. You're talking about God-given talent yeah. that he's taken 30 years to cultivate and, you know, and I love when people are like, hey, Brian, how long did it take you to write that, uh, to do that painting? Uh, 30 years. Because I don't understand right yeah. what it took for him to get there, right? Yeah. But we always talk about the process and the layering, you know what I mean? And that's what I love. I love the process. I love what it takes to, to, to do the process. So for the Thursday Night Club, this is a true story, and, and I'm not embellishing any of this, but it's one of my favorite stories, right? My wife and I are able to rent a house, a cabin on Martha's Vineyard, which I love Martha's Vineyard because it's 1958 even mm-hmm. now, right? There's no cell <laughs> service, right? You can, it's just awesome over there. We get the house from Saturday to Saturday, but we need the car. If we don't bring the Honda Pilot over with all our bullshit, right, we're walking everywhere, so we got to bring the Pilot over. Mm-hmm. Can't get the Pilot over on Saturday. The ferry's booked, but there is an opening on Friday. So this is my wife telling me the story, so I'm like, all right, that means somebody's going over on Friday and they're going to be homeless. They, they're going to sleep, sleep in the, in the vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Haven't done it since college, but all right, I'll do it. Now, I could have booked a later t- I actually got over on the first ferry I could, knowing that I had the full day. Not to mention I'm doing something for my family, so we're talking guilt-free writing time, right? Yeah. I come over, I, we drive, you know, I drive into Oak Bluffs, and I start to circle that gazebo. You guys know the park, the park I'm talking about? Uh, I'm, uh, it's been a long time. Okay. Every time I've been yeah. to Martha's Vineyard, I got knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> Three times Martha's Vineyard concussion, so I don't remember oh, much. Oh, shit. He's a hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. 
So anyway, you come off the ferry, and there's this big, beautiful park, and it's mm-hmm. right on the, you know, and then you have the seawall right there, and in the middle is this gazebo. But as you drive around the park, you get four-hour parking if you can find it. But that's like hitting the lottery. Right? Oh, yeah. So I start circling like a seagull, right? I get all day. So eventually, I'm, I'm scoring one of these spots. Of course. Maybe 40, and again, maybe 40 minutes goes by, I end up snatching a spot. So I drive in there. I got my backpack, a couple pads, some pens. Oh, old school. If I could do it by candlelight and quill pen, I would, right? <laughs> I also have my laptop, which is fully charged in case I want to start that, you know. Yep. I set up camp at, a, at a, a, this little park bench, right? This is going to be me for the day. And then I start writing. Now, picture, we're talking late July, early August. Kids are flying kites. Seagulls are screeching, but it's hot. It's getting hot. All of a sudden, I look over. I see a cop up on a Segway. But he looks up like he's about 14 years old, right, in a Halloween costume with a badge. I'm like, oh, hello, sir. So, you know, he comes up to the vehicle, and he mocks the back tires with a grease pencil. Yeah. Orange grease pencil, right? So then he, he takes note of the time. Yep. He's coming back in four hours. If you have an orange pencil mark... On your back tire, you're getting a ticket. Yep. He drives away on the Segway. I get up, pack all my shit up, right? I end up wiping off the grease pencil off the back of the tire. Yeah. I go get myself a margarita. Not two, because I need my wits about me, but one. I come back into the, I set up again, I continue to write. Now, I'm writing a Christmas story in the middle of the summer. Uh I don't know why, but I am. He comes back, Jasper comes back on the Segway, green grease pencil. Long story short, four grease pencils before I finish this story. Christmas novella called The Thursday Night Club. And The Thursday Night Club is about five college friends. They end up uh, dealing with this tragedy, which inspires them from here on, from now until Christmas night, whoever commits the greatest deed anonymously wins the pot. And because we're college students, we don't have shit for money, so they just put a quarter into a peanut jar. So you win a buck. Yeah. But you got to go out and do something amazing for people that can never pay it back. I don't think anything of it. I get done. My wife comes over. We have an incredible day. On I tell her about the story. You're a jackass, that poor kid. They said, what are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Four margaritas, right? I ended up, and I spent the whole day in the park. I slept in the vehicle. It was you know, yeah. magical. Book gets published maybe six, eight months later. Book comes out and it does well. But it's in a collection. It's called The Thursday Night Club and Other Stories of Christmas, whatever. So there's three Christmas novellas. But The Thursday Night Club is the anchor on this yep. project. Book comes out, does well. Two years later, I get a call. Hey, we want to do an audio podcast drama. So think old school radio, episodic. Yep. yep. We're going to do six episodes. Oh, and by the way, we have Kathleen Turner who has agreed to you know sign on to the project, she's going to play the angel. Wow. Now, Kathleen Turner, in her day, was an amazing actress, right? Yes. And she's still amazing. Yep. But she sounds like she smoked a sheep, right? So I'm thinking, Definitely. oh, man, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know what I mean? An angel with a, you know what I mean? Just that gruff, like, it. prison voice. So they end up recording it in Brooklyn. I think the budget was around 300K, which isn't crazy money, but it's, yeah. you know. And... At the time, we're talking like right around the, the beginning of COVID. So the girl who played Jasmine on Broadway, right, for Aladdin, she's out of work. So she comes in and plays a role. And then I realized they picked up all these Broadway stars, young people, yeah. right, yeah. that came in and ended up doing the voices on it. It was freaking amazing, right? What I loved about it is it streams. So for your audience, I don't really pitch stuff and, and try to, you know, 
take money out of people's pockets, but Pitch this away. is free. This is free. I, I mean, you can go to, you know, Apple or whatever, I, wherever they stream the podcast, uh-huh. and you can download these for free. No way. Yeah, and the ads end up picking up the money on the of other course. side. So when you search it, you search Thursday Night Club? The Thursday Night Club, yeah. And then we'll find it. it you, know, you guys can find it, and you can actually, and it's awesome, dude, because there's there's an original soundtrack to it. Like, it comes, it's amazing. That's great. That's awesome. Here's the cuckoo part of it. So as the writer, this is one of my children, right? So I bring the baby out of the bathwater. I flip the kid around. We don't want to do the shaking baby thing, but you know what I mean? <laughs> and I hand it off to the producer, who says, well, we're going to bring in another writer. I say, you're not. I'm a writer. Yeah. Characters are mine. Plot's mine. Right? All this is mine. Well, this is a different, you know, vet, like a, you know, a different mechanic, whatever. So I said, I'm a writer, and I've written scripts before. I need to be attached to the project. So me and this other writer end up doing the podcast, the script, which I'm okay with. Mm-hmm. He takes half, I take half. Comes out. I'm like, Ugh. Some of this is unrecognizable to me, but the Ooh. essence is, you know. Yep. Anyway, it comes out. It's perennial, so you can get it every. You know, people download it, and it's also again, it's done well. Last year, I get a call. They want to do the film. Awesome. We're going to bring in a, a company from North Carolina. You know, the executive producers signed up this night, and I never ever get excited about this shit because I signed a contract. My take was supposed to be ninety three thousand ten years ago, ninety three thousand dollars to do. The Rock and Share out in Wisconsin. They were they were gonna lease this horse horse farm. They were gonna build a barn, burn it down. Like they were gonna film this thing almost backwards. Yeah. Right. And The Rock and Share is one of my the, my favorite books because the grandfather is Swamp Yankee. Right. That's it's the old man in the book. So I don't get excited about the Thursday Night Club because I'm thinking this can go to shit forty thousand different ways. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like if you guys do your podcast, you know you can get it done. Right. Then you bring in other people. You're not really sure. Then you bring in a hundred other people. There's a really good chance this podcast doesn't happen anymore. You right. know what I mean? So anyway, all right, we start talking percentages. We go do the contract, and I said, "Listen, I want you know I've worked hard for thirty years, right? Mm-hmm. And nepotism is alive and well, right? So I said, my daughter's you know going to Tish at NYU. I don't want to be this pretentious idiot, right? That you know she needs a speaking role, but I'd like to see her in the movie, just appear in the movie, yeah, like a walk through the screen, yeah, done." So we signed up. They they filmed it in New Milford, Connecticut, um, last like early early spring, right? So there was still snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. I get out there. They ended up bringing in Gloria Gaynor, so cool, the disco star, <laughs> yep. who ended up leaving disco and became a Grammy award winning gospel singer. So she has a huge Christian following. Now, again, as a man of faith, a spiritual guy, when you read my stuff, it's I'm kind of on the fence, right? I don't Jesus bomb things. This sure. time, my faith, my religion, it's is very personal to me. I'm not trying to yeah. recruit. However, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel a spiritual undertone to it, right? Because it's you know it's who I am. We get back to negotiations. They want to bring in a scriptwriter. <laughs> Same story, right? Not happen. I'm gonna do half. You're gonna do half. We sign the contract. They start filming. I said I want to come down on set a couple times. Yeah, and I'm I'm not the type of guy that needs to control this, right? It's done. Yeah. What I don't realize is when you sign off the rights, right? So I'm getting paid, but I'm giving the rights to the production company, who now owns the rights of this one piece of this pie, right? The story's mine, the book's mine, the novella's mine, half of the audio podcast drama's mine. Now, this movie I'm selling for a percentage. Yep. But I'm thinking it's going to get out into the world. It's going to have a much bigger audience. And I'm thinking it's the type of story that really could make positive change. 
So I signed the contract. We get to New Milford, and then I'm on. We, we, I don't mean to laugh. We walk into hair and makeup in Bella, my daughter. Nobody has any idea who I am, which is what I like, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, you're a celebrity. No, I'm an anonymous celebrity, which is, you know what I mean? So I just sat there, and the two primary actresses are in the chair getting their hair done. Yep. And, you know, they're exchanging lines. One of the kids misses the line. So I turn to my daughter, Bella, and I give her the line in a whisper. Yep. Not to be rude, but. Yeah. And she's like, Dad, it's job. So I'm like, <laughs> I wrote it. But that's the line. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. So, Somebody walks in the room, you know, can we get this girl in the chair? Well, she's an extra if we have time. Well, by the way, her dad wrote the story. Oh, my God, Bella, we've been waiting for you. Like, just stupid stuff. Yeah, right? so he yeah. gets in the. Anyway, we get on on, uh, on location. Once you get on location, I'm like, oh, my God. They, like, this is a real film set, right? They had four rooms. The first room was for the executive producer, the writers, the director, the first AD, the whole thing. Second room, primary actors. Mm-hmm. Third room, secondary actors, crew, whatever. Fourth room, extras. Mm-hmm. So I'm going in the extra room because that's where they put my kid. I want to spend the day with my daughter. Yeah, of course. Steve, you need to be in the other room. I don't need to be anywhere. I need to find another bag of Doritos because there was only one in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I sit. And it's like a little desk, right? With a, you know, like the fourth grade desk. And yep. I, can, I can hardly sit in this thing. I got Dorito you know, dust, dust. On, my, on my shirt. <laughs> And there's an old timer to my right, and I turn to him. Now, think about the whole town of New Milford comes out because they want to be in the movie. Of course. But, you know, you know how it works. So the director oh, yeah. walks in. I like his face. I like his face. Yeah. Mm, we'll talk to you guys later. Yep. Let's go. You're in the next. But every take is, you know, four takes, ten takes, whatever. So it takes forever for them to set up and then break oh, down yeah. and go to the next scene. The old timer's pissy, right? So he says, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I said, what's the matter? He says, I've been here all day. You know, they, they plucked my wife. I'm still sitting here. I said, well, it's part of the game, right? Like, you know. So I said, I, what I see, I don't even know if I like this story. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't care for this story at all. I'm a, so he starts to dog the story. So you're doing to this yeah. guy what you did to the woman <laughs> yeah, at the conference exactly. that you're speaking at. Oh, gosh. My daughter just shakes her head, gets up, goes to the bathroom, grabs a thing of water, whatever, <laughs> and I'm messing with the guy. His wife walks in and says, do you know who you're talking to? And I hate that. Like, I hate that. I don't care who you are. That's Ruined it. <laughs> yeah, right? And then he's like, oh, so he starts to apologize to me. I'm like, no, dude. And I, I, it was so funny because there's such that pretentious, and it's not about that, right? It's about, you know, telling the story. So anyway, I go to the director. I said, make sure he gets in, you know, do me a favor. Make sure he gets in the movie, and he did. Um, But at one point, the script supervisor comes over to me, and he's like, uh, Mr. Manchester, what do you think about this? I don't know. I didn't write it. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about this? I don't know. I didn't write that. So when we sat, you know, during the director's meeting, Steve, if we had done this scene the way that you wrote it, it would have cost us 40000 We had to do it for 8000 If we had done this scene, so then you realize they've rewritten the vast majority of the story. Yep. The upside is the essence is the same. The characters are sure. the same, right? It's the same, you know what I mean? But, and then finally I'm like, buddy, do me a huge favor. Like, take the script and go talk to somebody else. Like, I, I don't, I can't, I can't talk to you about this. Yeah. I'm just here. They put a jacket on me. I played a college professor just walking through one of the yeah. set, you know, scenes. Yeah. And I went and talked to my daughter. And it was awesome to see it. But what I realized was if you don't surrender to this, yeah, you know. Anyway, that's a long way to answer your question. <laughs> no, but, uh, but when is it? When's it coming out? So it comes out November first. Sony, um, 
Sony PureFlex. Mm-hmm. So think about, you know, so this story, there's a commercial side to it, and then there's the Christian mm-hmm. on the spiritual side. They've actually done promos for both. Sony PureFlex is the first to pick it up, right? So they're looking to get into the big churches. And the cool part of this story is they're going to try to make the movie a movement. And they've created the Thursday Night Club. So if you join the Thursday Night Club and mm-hmm. become a member, you have to go out and do something. Oh, that's cool, Oh, that's though. cool. Yeah, I love and, that. And the coolest part of the story, Jared, I'll tell you, and this really moved me. We were sitting just waiting. And again, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't order enough Doritos. But I'm still, <laughs> you know, Cheetos. I mean, you could yeah. still, there's, you know. And this big dude ends up extending his hand as he was, you know, his name's Mike I'm going to mess up his last name, but Mooshaw or something. And he says, hey, I want to thank you for writing the story. And I'm like, ah, it's all good. You know what I mean? And he says, uh, I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I'm one of the actors. I was called in. Uh, but he had actually donated bone marrow and saved uh, a little girl's life. And Be the great. Match is the national sponsor of this movie. So they're oh, taking nice. it on for, you know what I mean? So just that, man. It was, you know what I mean? It's just amazing. So- I don't want to give away the whole story, but these kids, these college students do amazing things. But every time they do something that's bigger, they decide, I don't want anybody to know. Yeah. So the one who wins the pot wins it off of something, you know, stupid, right? And then it becomes, well, it's changed my life. So next year, right, we're going to bring in more people. And then it's just, it's kind of a really, really cool thing. But it becomes almost a cultural thing where if, you know, people think it's cool to go and do something like that. Yeah. You know. So it's been a blessing. It really has. That's great. That's fucking awesome. Because obviously your daughter, Bella, is like so, excuse my language, fucking like supremely talented. Yeah. And like she blew me. The first time I saw her, it was 2015 because I had just done Legally Blonde. Yeah, and then following that show, yeah. she was Elle Woods right. yeah. in the children's version yeah, of Legally old. Blonde yeah. at eleven oh years old. Yeah. And I remember just seeing her yeah. and being like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, eleven years old, like at that point, triple threat already. Yeah, yeah, she's been fun to watch. So yeah, and she seems to work her ass off too. Yeah, she's well, a hard worker. She right. is. She yeah. definitely is. Um, but I want to know. Where did she get that talent from? Is it? Are have you ever been on stage, or has your wife ever been on stage? No, 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 not my wife. I, I, I'm, I'm the guy behind the scenes, right? Like well, I've yeah. done, I've done stand up comedy. Um, and get was, the hell out of here! Yeah, really? I did, yeah, but it was more research for a book for twelve months. So within the book, the guy gets diagnosed, right? And the uh, book's yeah. not about dying, but it's about living. And he fucking realized I have 12 months left to live. So his wife tells him, you need to go out. Kind of a bucket list type book. Yeah. And he'd always wanted to try stand-up comedy. So I went and did 12 shows. Uh, and it was absolutely fucking terrifying, right? But <laughs> oh the gosh. last show I did, I opened up for some good comedians, but there was 350 people in the audience. And oh. I did seven minutes as an opener, and I got a fucking huge round of applause. But it taken me a while to get, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, but before the show started, I'm at the bar. And I won't do more than one, but I, you know, you gotta yep. take, take that edge fucking off. edge oh, off. Of yeah, course, definitely. Yeah. So I take the edge off. My wife comes over. She's like, "Are you okay?" I said, "I'm not." Like, what are the symptoms of a stroke? Because I think, <laughs> you know what I mean. And then I get up on the mic and fucking killed it. And and to be honest with you, I only say that because 
I hadn't killed it, like leading up to that. You know what I mean? And I finally fucking killed it. And, I, and then I realized why people do this, right? They're chasing this, this fucking applause, the adrenaline yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And then I sat back down and, you know, ordered another drink. And my wife looked at me and I said, that's it. It's done. You got it. You did what yeah, you needed that, to do Exactly. Because yeah. I can't fucking write and then chase drunks, right? Because yep. you don't get it, you know. But I, I did a show in Providence and this guy, Eddie Galvin, and we do we do one every year. I do a fundraiser every year for kids. Uh, it's called Laughter and Wishes. And mm-hmm. We've been doing it for 12 years. We've raised over 200000 It's awesome. Ah. And I've seen some of the best comedians. In fact, November 18th, we're doing one at White's. Um, so hopefully we'll pack the whole house. But Lenny Clark is the- uh, Oh, is the MC? Yeah, yeah. No, he's the- he's the oh, headliner? Uh, headliner, yeah. Oh, That's nice. Awesome. So Dave Andrews will be there, smoking Joe Holden. I'll host, right? I'll get up and, you know, and then- Joe will fucking MC it. And it's the same thing every year. Same yeah. joke, same bullshit. And then we bring in other comedians, you know. But I was up on stage, and um, it was like for a bachelor party in Providence, right? Uh-huh. My wife's in the audience, a couple of other people I know, and all these assholes waiting on the strippers. You know what I mean? I get it. <laughs> I tell a fucking joke, crickets. Oh. Tell a second joke, crickets. Now my heart's beating out of my chest. Oh. Yeah. But it's like you can go one of two ways. So, so I, I'm I'm starting to get pissed. Like I get dragged dragged back into prison, right? Like fucking pissed. So I look over Eddie Galvin, who is a seasoned and phenomenal comedian, just kind of gives me one of these. You're all done. Like it's you know call it all. It's quits. He comes up the fucking stairs to the stage, gives me a half hug. So I say into the mic, "You guys were electric. I, cannot, <laughs> I can't thank you enough." He grabs the fucking microphone. He says, holy Christ, screams. Oh, my God. Look at the size of that fucking guy's head. What did you get, baptized at SeaWorld? Everybody starts laughing. I fucking turn around. He's pointing at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's that's a good segue for us to try on the hat. We got to try on the hat. Yeah. We got to do it. To see if it's going to happen? Yeah, let's see if you're part of our club. Is it a chapeau? No, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a nice, big, friendly hat. Kind of oh, like, this uh, is. This is the, this is part of the club, though. Like, you, you, not a lot of people get to wear the hat. Oh, that's nice. Hey, that's nice. He's part of the club. He's, hold on. You gotta take a picture. Yeah, yeah. This let's is get nice. part of the club here. Did this ever come with a chin strap? <laughs> <laughs> what oh, size is this, man. dude? That so that's gotta be like the equivalent of an eight. I like this. We, go, we all got That's big an metal awesome. All That's an awesome lid. I like it, dude. Yeah. He pulls it off the best. So come yeah. on, show it off. Oh God, no, I can't. I no, no, I can't. Can I be I honest with you? That's uh, that's got that Clint Eastwood gunslinger. Like, that's crazy cool. Yeah, it it, it it's a it's it is a really uh, a really cool hat. Well, look, I got the hat because I thought I needed a new look, you know, and I right. didn't know what the new look was. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm I like doing some it. research. I used to be a big cowboy guy, so I used to yeah. wear like cowboy boots all the time. Right, Middle right. of summer didn't matter. I still have cowboy boots. Uh, I saw that hat and I was like, I'm, "That's my hat. Everyone's gonna love it. It's gonna be my thing." That's I awesome. wore it once. Really? I wore it once, but now it's just like now it's it's, it's, it's the hat. It's, it's kind of like the unofficial like uh, mascot or emblem yeah, of yeah. the podcast. Right. Now. I'll yeah. tell you, you throw a chin strap on that bow, you're wearing that. Yeah, round. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Because the wind catches it. You you know. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a lot of brim. (laughs) Oh man, brim there. There's a lot. That's the tagline for this episode. That's a lot of brim. (laughs) A lot of brim. Brim to brim, baby. (laughs) Oh man, have you ever thought, Steve, of 
because you've been to a lot of shows locally, yeah. a lot of theater shows. Yeah, yeah. Now I know you're a f- you know fiction writer, and but like, have you ever thought of ha- like reviewing the shows? Has that ever crossed your mind? Yeah, I, you know what? That's actually a really good idea because I it, it has, but usually I'm in the middle of you know doing other things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is probably the only thing that's held me back from that. But I love writing scripts. I wrote. Pre-COVID, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote a script called Everyman yes. uh, for Case, and they went all the way to States with that. Um, and I'm honored that you know Neil Geronimo came and asked me to do the 2023 script, so I, I just wrote Medusa, which is really, really cool. And, yeah, cool. and the timing of it is phenomenal, right? Because it's the whole, she gets screwed hot, right? The woman mm-hmm. with the snakes. Um, but if you know her real story, the whole Greek, Greek mythology of it is, uh, I mean, she gets, basically she gets raped. Oh, jeez. And they spin it on her, right? And they, you know, they victim shame it, like the whole thing. And not to be overly political about it, but it was awful. Absolutely awful. Wow. Yeah. So I well, took I it and no, spun it for a modern day, like, you know what I mean? Obviously, you know, women's rights and uh-huh. all the crazy shit that's happening in this country right now. We just got kicked back 50 years. So it seemed like the right time to do it. Uh-huh. He was really intentional about it, and I think he was super clever. Not to mention, the messaging's phenomenal, right, mm-hmm. for high school girls. So we'll see. But we just finished. I think I have a meeting with him this week, and we'll start to tweak it. But I love working with Neil because he'll always say, hey, do you have the time? I want to make some change. No, I don't have the time. And he's like, are you kidding? Yes, I am kidding. Where would you like to go? <laughs> yeah. Hey, isn't that such a cool thing for the kids? So like, uh, yeah. I did festival when I was in high school. And right. I mean, that that was like state championships. We're going there like, yeah. what a what an amazing thing for high school students. Yeah, it is. It, it is. That's and so you know cool. what I love too is like the process too, Jared, right? And when we did Every Man, I came into the audience and at first they were like tentative. And I said, first of all, I took a script that was from like, you know, the 1200s, you know what I mean? Some some fucking monk that was beating his own back, you know what I mean? And I took it and made it modern and kind of spun it up and it ended up becoming a cool story. But yeah, but I said, listen, I, I don't, you have to understand, like I do what I do, I hand it to the director who does what he or she does and then they hand it to you. So in the end, this is a culmination, right? The story is, is in, in my opinion, is, you know, comes full circle. Yeah. So they had a say, which was awesome and uh, how I ended up, I mean, it's wild to, to work with the director and say, well, how do you, you know, how do you envision this? And as he's telling me that, I'm taking notes, and then I write it to fit exactly what he wants. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the props and you know the set pieces and all that shit. It's cool. And that's so much cooler than uh, like you. You talked about you know handing off a script on a professional level right. of you know hundreds of people and how that can be challenging. Yeah, that's tricky that's and the essence is tough. But it's so cool to hear that you know on this level. Uh, with kids at a yeah. public school, how rewarding that handoff is. Right. How it's a different thing, but you like, it's the essence is still there. Yeah. The your intentions of it are still there, and then the kids are, they're probably more intentional and thoughtful about that as well. Yeah. In, in a different way, so that's just cool to hear that. It was yeah, it was awesome because what I love too is like it's like pulling back the curtain and saying, well. You know, when somebody sees a professional recording artist, right, they think, oh, my God, like untouchable, right? Yep. Or you see a published author. There's not a – I mean, when you pull the curtain back, I wanted to show them this is my process. This is you jumping into the process. We're creating something that never existed to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can do it. Of course you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Cool. Like this is attainable. So it's, you know, it's whether or not you want to put the time in. 
That's cool. Yeah. Would you consider dancing? <laughs> well, we, we were ending this with yeah, a segment. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, that's the. We're bringing in a choreographer and everything. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, about 15 you... minutes. I'm yeah. going to pull a hammy. Uh, well, no, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll have a stretch session before him. Um, <laughs> it was either you... that or a professional wrestling match. So we went to the dance lesson. Yeah. Would you consider writing a script for Jared and I, something that we've toyed with for years called Ryan and Jared on the Beach? <laughs> I, I normally don't do pornography pieces, but I, yeah, I'll, I'll jump into it. Holy shit. I you know what's funny? I, there's so many people that will approach me, hey, do you want to do a collaboration? And and if I have the time, yep. right, of the space there, the answer is always going to be yes. But yep. there is only one requirement I have. Mm-hmm. We have to finish it. Yeah. yeah. If we don't finish it, you're going to piss me off to no end, right? Yes. Like, I'll do it, mm-hmm. but we have to finish. We're seeing this fucking thing. Yeah, we, and I don't care if it sucks. Yeah, who cares? You still got to get there. Yeah, yeah. Because I see a lot of people, you know, get on the wheel and they can't. You know what I mean? Like you got to bring it across the finish line. I don't care how it comes out. You know, we're doing this. Yeah. I think that's a great requirement, though. Yeah, you have to finish it. Yeah, I think that's great, and to just say that because that also just makes it like like so many people are probably like, oh, let's work together. Right. But nah. they're saying it like very surface level. They don't yeah. really mean it. Right. And now when they say that to you and you're just like, okay, but we have to do yeah. this. Because it's a romantic thing for a lot of people, right? Like, oh, I'm going to wait for my muse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what amateurs do, right? Professionals get up and they work. And they do it. Anybody who goes to a job any day, half the time the job sucks or more than half the time. Yeah. When I write, the first 20 minutes trying to get that train out of the station is fucking painful it's anguish right yeah. once i get that momentum going and shit there's no happier place for me on, on the planet but people think well once i get inspired no no that's not how we're going to do this right not to mention you need to match what i'm doing mm-hmm. and i'm a workhorse you know what i mean like i'm i'm on it you know yeah. what I mean? we'll get plenty of sleep when it's over right but for me when we're into something because i don't want to take three years to do a project that could take three months when I can get seven other projects done. Yeah, right. Of course. The clock's ticking. Right? I will see you Wednesday at six then. Yeah. There Wednesday at six. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> Jared and Ryan on the beach. Jared oh and Ryan. Yeah. Oh. We, you know, we have joked about that show, right. but I, I mean, it's very. Well, I just love the fucking idea of having. We had a character in there. Was uh, what was it? Uh, Amelia, Amelia, Earhart, Amelia Earhart, who's been she's been on this beach for fucking ninety years. <laughs> oh she's my like God. A, she's a leather purse at this. We point. found her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something and like she's that. She's just been chilling. Like she she landed with yeah, like exactly. with with five thousand packs of fucking Marlboros. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's dude. like yeah, like the basic premise is uh, was that like what is it? Was did we like I crash, we crash a ship yeah, or a plane or something? And then we yeah. just are on this deserted island. I'll together. tell you, I don't write fantasy sci-fi. If I if I did, I would tackle the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, you oh, think about yeah. the shit that went in there. Yeah, I'd fucking go in there looking. You know yeah. what I mean, there's some stories in that triangle. I mean, yeah, oh, there yeah. are definitely. You know? Oh man! But yeah, I like the Amelia thing. With I can picture with the sea turtles. It would be maybe, funny. It would be, awesome. be really Just funny. been tanning for fucking <laughs> yeah, ninety <exactly>. years. <laughs> Somehow she hasn't aged because, you know, fucking aging like doesn't happen. Like a shrunken head. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like in Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's classic. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. I think we're coming to the end. We've been... We've been at it. We've been at it. This is great, though. I Like, honestly, I can't even stress enough how wonderful 
it is to My have pleasure, you on man. here. I yeah. really, really It's an honor to be here. It really is. Sid, yeah. can you just, before we start wrapping up, though, yeah. can you just tell us about the classes you got coming up? Oh, I, that's right. That yeah. was really so, interesting. I, I want to I know a little bit about so that. So I taught years ago. I you know I used to teach um, you know a class at UMass, and, and uh, you know it was one of those non-credit courses, but yeah. it was enjoyable for me to be able to share and pot, you know. This is a tough industry, so the 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 rejection rate hovers around ninety five percent, and the reason for that is people don't know what rocks to step on to cross the other side. I can't guarantee publication, but I can show you the shit not to do mm-hmm. and cut out weeks or months of you know torture, right? So October nineteenth will be the first. It's a Zoom, you know, so you know COVID at least has opened that up. Yeah, uh, not a lot of travel anymore, which is nice. I can bring people in, but we do an hour and a half course. Uh, it's called Write Your Dream Book. And really, it's just me explaining, not like your eighth grade teacher did, but from a real practical perspective. If you wanted to write a book, we're going to start with the book concept. I'm going to talk about storyboarding. Then we're going to talk about the main components about how you come to it. Mm-hmm. Right? Character development. You could talk about, I'm going to create characters, but let's really talk about how I create characters. It's not the only way, but it's a way that works. Um, so it's a blast. The second set, so there's three sessions. Uh, the series is called The Author's Toolbox. And the second session will be in November. The final session in December, usually like Wednesday nights from six to seven thirty, middle of the, middle of the month. The second one is called uh, "Seeing Your Work in Print," and I'm going to give and I'll give your audience some some tips right now. Pre-publication book reviews. If you're going to write a book, the best thing that you can do for yourself is get that book copy edited, and that's the only time you're going to spend money. So you're going to go to a professional editor who is really your fourth grade teacher who's going to clean this thing up and make it pristine. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you publish a book out of your garage or you go to Avon, you know, Bantam, Dell, Simon & Schuster. It should look the same. Appearances mm-hmm. are everything. When I finish a book, I bring in a beta team, which is you know seven to ten people. Usually I'll go to a really cool location. We'll lock the doors. You've had six weeks to read my manuscript. I'm going to feed you. Somebody's going to be mixing cocktails, mm-hmm. and we're going to go at this. And this is the last shot for you to tell me, hey, this doesn't work. This character dropped off you know, in the seventh chapter, reappeared in the tenth. So real practical stuff. So what I tell writers is, listen, you need to convene a beta team. You need to get real objective. You know, And at some point, if you guys want to jump in, it would be awesome to have you on, on, on my beta team. Because you read the manuscript, and I don't ask <laughs> questions. Because if I say, hey, Ryan, what's wrong with the book? You're automatically thinking, shit, Steve wants me to find something wrong with the yeah, book. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't say anything. So when you show up, I'm going to have a list of questions. And then it's like, it's not a quiz. It's just half the time I'm there with a notebook and I'm like, oh, yeah, Ryan. And I put a circle with an X through it, right? Mm-hmm. Good idea. Just it's going to make things, you know. My thing is, if you have suggestions, there's two ways you can go. It can either be make the book better or different. Yeah. We, don't, we don't touch different. Yeah. We touch better, right? The second thing is once that's done and this book is edited professionally, you need to send it out and get pre-publication book reviews. So if you get anywhere between 8 to 12, and I'm not trying to be pretentious, but people with titles, you know, editor, best-selling author, whatever, if I put my name on your book, it means I read your book, I put all my reputation behind your book, mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier, right? It yep. mitigates that risk at the back end because it's a bottom-line-driven business, right? Yeah. If an editor or publisher looks at that and says, hey, Manchester liked the book, not that much of a risk, right? Yep. Ryan loved the book. Jared loved the book, right? We have these titles. That would be more of a risk. Yeah, that would be. It, it would be yeah, but then you have high risks, you know what I mean, low risks. Uh, but you guys know what I'm saying. Like for yeah, me, I, I, I create a real practical class where it's like, if you want to just play around, we can play around. But if you really want to get a book published, I'll show you how to do it. 
And Amazon, which we all know is the devil, right? But you got to dance with the devil, of right? Of course. So it owns 90% of the industry now. People yep. don't realize that. Amazon, 90% of the book industry, right? Barnes & Noble, 6 7%. Apple Books, you know what I mean? It's brutal. But here's the upside to it. Years ago, the average uh, books being published today per year is about 60,000 books per uh-huh. year. We used to have to compete with other American writers. Now, because of the internet, you compete with people who are writing in Iceland, you know, Yugoslavia. It's, it's incredible. You also couldn't get published unless you had an agent, and you couldn't get an agent unless you were published. So it was the catch-22. Yep. Along comes Amazon and says, hey, listen, we have KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. I can put your book out in hard, hardback, paperback, electronic version, so you can read it on your Kindle and everything else, right? The question is, do you want to create a book that looks like it came out from Simon & Schuster, or do you want to rush it, and this is what it's going to cost to actually put that together? So with KDP, you can get your own work published. Now the question, and this is what nobody asks themselves, right, is how many books are you going to sell realistically? Because after your mom buys 12 copies, right, (laughs) she's done, right? You're going to give away Christmas gifts. My thing is, can you sell a thousand books? Can you sell two thousand books? It's all about the back end, right? So for me, I organically grew over thirty years. Organically grew a readership that you continue to pile on, right? So now I know whether I publish a book through Luna Bella Press, which is what I own, and I also work with two other traditional publishers. So I work for three different publishing houses. I know what the percentages are going to be. I also know within the first month how many books are going to sell. Over a six-month period of time, usually within 18 months, a book is dead. Wow. Dead. You can resurrect it later on, and I have ways to do that, but for the most part, it's dead. So if you're a one-hit wonder, which there's nothing wrong with, we'll talk about that and how to approach that. And it's awesome. I mean, it's just such a cool journey, right? Yeah. But the people that want to continue to publish and write, um, there's a different formula for that too. So anyway, my classes uh, are really about the practical application of writing Again, we're not going to talk about vocabulary. I'm going to talk about how do you really structure sure. and storyboard a book, um, and then how do you get that book sold, and then finally, how do you market and promote the book? And if you can think about the marketing and promotion before you even write the book, it will help you. Yeah. Because you're baking it in, right, as, yep. you, as you're writing it. So, Again, another super long answer. No, no, no that's, that's great, that's though. Great. You, you, you got my gears turned again because I mean, the music industry, you, you yeah. have Spotify, Apple, all these things you have are so. Where's the best place for an audience to go buy your stuff? That like best Actually, thing? Yeah, Amazon. Like you know, people can order through my website, but even though I make less off of Amazon, it's all about because when somebody gets a book published, if you don't have at least fifty positive reviews, you're not even in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's you know certain algorithms and all this other craziness, and I should hire a fourteen year old too, right, to take care of the social <laughs> media stuff. Yeah. But. Yeah. I do it at a level which where I still enjoy it. And I know people that will market 70% of their time and write 30% of the time. If I could, I would write 100% of the time. I would never sell. Yeah. Right? But you have to do both. So, right. you know, I do, you know, I have some upcoming events. So, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to an author's brunch, I think October 23rd, which is a fundraiser for UMass. So I'll be there with Barbara Delinsky, who's fantastic, Jacqueline Mitchett, and then they get the local boy who – might crack a few jokes, right? <laughs> and then 
Yeah, it's cool. I'll be at the Rotary Club December 1st. So I love doing the local stuff, but, yep. you know, and then it grows my readership, but it also reminds me of why I do what I do because it's so neurotic. You guys know. I mean, you can only spend so much time with yourself before you're like, oh, I've had it with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. true. Very, very true. Right. That was super informative. This entire thing was super informative. Thank you. Very entertaining. Thanks. And it, I, it was a joy to have you on. So thank, thank you, man. you so the joy much. Was I, mine. Really I appreciate it. I appreciate, appreciate it. you, man. Thanks. Um, before you go, now this is different. How much cash do I have in my wallet? <laughs> <laughs> right. I need a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did I just hear the door lock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have a little bit of money? Is um, this room filling with water? It could. <laughs> um, we so, turn into an ice rink in the winter. <laughs> what we usually do here yeah. is for the last portion of the show yeah we do the quick change okay now the quick change don't worry we're not going to take your clothes off right. um, you can if you want you to. can if you want just for the it, audience my heart is thumping right now he's back to his stand-up days here <laughs> so it's basically it's a minute of rapid fire questions yeah where i ask you and you have to just come up with the first answer that Let's comes to mind yeah, now it's usually theater related yeah okay let's but do it you are you you Listen, are a theater I have supporter enough, right. i should have enough knowledge of yeah. but you're also i mean you're a published author so i'm gonna have some questions some book questions oh, as boy. well so it's gonna be a smattering of both then people are gonna realize this guy knows nothing, nothing. yes nothing. This, that's basically phyllis this is gonna is. be like i knew that has he been, phyllis. he's <laughs> been drinking the entire time <laughs> <laughs> that coffee oh, was man. good. <laughs> it was good. All right. Spice. Thank you, brother. It was good. <laughs> so the timer, you'll have a minute. All right. And it will. The, the timer will start. We could also try just, our best fart sounds, too. I just, I just ripped the seal. Good. All right. Uh, the timer will start when I'm done with the first question. Okay. Oh, God. So it's like the family feud. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So here we go. I'll get this time. This is usually Joe's. Oh, I had the timer ready to go. Oh, you have the timer yeah, ready, to go. ready to go. Oh, all right. He's got the timer. Yeah. So here it is. The quickest minute in podcasting with Steve Manchester. <laughs> the quick change. <laughs> all right. Oh, God. <clears throat> what is the first show that you saw on Broadway? Uh, Beauty and the Beast. What is the next show that you would like to see on Broadway? Newsies, is it still there? I don't think it is. All right, but Not if it comes movies. back, bring it back. You'll yeah, be the first one first to know. Yeah. Uh, who would play you in a movie of your life? Oh wow, um, Matt Damon. Okay, I cool. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, um, cool. What is the best book that you have read? That I've read. Read. Um, the greatest novel in American history is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, yeah. by Hopper Lee. What do you think? is a book that everyone should read. Mitch Album, Tuesdays with Maury. You just mentioned my favorite book. Anyway. Phenomenal. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. That's a play that I want to be seen put on. Oh, my on. God, yeah. I'm sorry. that I'll give I, us we, an extra 15 we, we, seconds. We, we've just derailed <laughs> yeah. this, but that's a play that or I Robert want. Robert Duvall, laying yeah. in bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. Um, if you could play a character in a musical or a play, who would it be? Phantom. Phantom? Phantom nice. of the Opera. 
Yeah. Nice. Put some tight underwear because I need to go places that I haven't. You know okay. I mean? yeah, no, We're not I changing keys. Vocally. Uh, we're not changing <laughs> keys. All right. One more question. All right. What do you think is your best work? Oh, well, I don't think I've written it yet, if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, but in previous works, it would be the menu. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Time. That's the time. Steve. Wow. Thank Amazing. you. I can't wait to see you in the tights and playing the Phantom. Yeah, yes. we'll get that sure. ready. Yeah. No more. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this was great. Yeah, it's right. fantastic. Awesome, guys. And let us know what you think the perfect pickle is.